this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. What's going on, my buddy Mark? How you been, brother? I've been good, man. I got I got my t-shirt in. Oh, wow. Very nice. That even looks nicer than mine. Maybe I should wear mine a little bit. I didn't want to wear it when you didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to be asking about the merch before we even really got it ready. And uh, But yeah, that's cool. I definitely want to thank the audience for their overwhelming feedback and responses and support for the reef therapy podcast um you know me and mark we really try to drill down into you know the nuts and bolts the you know the the skeletal frame of things and 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 really try to elucidate some some heavy some dense topics but today we've got a really really fun one we're just going to talk about the things we love about the modern reef aquarium hobby. But before we jump into that, your tank is coming along, right, Mark? You've been yeah. you've been getting your hands wet a lot very recently. Yeah, the beauty of working from home, you know, is I can do lunch break little tasks and stuff. So yeah, I uh, I got some rock sculpting done in the garage. That was a lot of fun. Um, I put some old kessels on there that I had laying around just to get some lighting going and. Uh, Filled up with tap water. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And then, you know, my media reactor is just one of those bulk resupply repurposed uh, RO carbon housing. So I just put a carbon you know block in there. water purification cartridge? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you call those uh, filter housings. So, yeah, I just put a carbon block in there, and I've been running that. Um, I may be a little paranoid and run uh, – I've got Cooper's Orb in the – in the stash so i may run just a little bit of that uh, as a precautionary measure as well um not so much for the copper i think the carbon's going to take care of the copper but do you um, know that you have copper in there well i got copper pipes so there's that um that doesn't I, mean, I looked into this a lot yeah. when i moved into the studio um, because it's got copper pipes going into there and only new copper pipes leach mm. stuff out i mean if you have water sitting in them for like a really long time um yeah. it might give you old pulses of copper but it's really only when they're new when they're old they've got a nice oxidized patina that just prevents that mostly mitigates most of that leaching yeah i um <clears throat> i've never had it tested um but again i'm not so worried about that like i said the carbon's going to handle that but all just, the sand you're about to put in there that's going to absorb yeah, it right away yeah <laughs> um so yeah, uh, it's been fun, you know. Now I just gotta figure out uh, what I'm gonna do uh, as far as lighting. I think I may just get uh, motivated this weekend, depending on how much coffee I drink. And I was gonna do like a slow transfer a few corals at a time. Maybe put a canary in the coal mine coral in there, see how it goes. But You're I may just oh man, you know what's happening? Like yeah, I think you. I think you are a little bit motivated. Just insta reef. I, well, yeah, I mean, when you, you know, yeah, I mean, just move it all over on a Saturday and uh, call it good, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I've actually been 
working on one of my smaller tanks, a nano reef tank. Um, I decided it, when it was time for an update, so we filmed that and it should be up before this uh, is session this the, is released. Is uh, Red Sea Nano? Yeah, that thing okay. went a whole year. I just, I wasn't really, I wasn't trying to play in the space of, oh, no water changes. I yeah. just wanted to see. I just wanted to see one time what would happen if I'd set up a reef tank in one day and then did not put my hands in it in any way, shape, or form for a whole year. And I was quite surprised. I mean, I wanted to put my hands in there. I wanted to shuffle some corals around because you never put all the corals exactly where you want the first time. But um, I recently decided that that was going to be an awesome showcase for my sun polyps. I'm not a huge zoanthid junkie. I don't really buy zoanthid frags, except for super classics, right? Like Purple Death, Purple People Eater, Utter Chaos, and Bam Bams, you know? Just the 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 super classics. And But I've always loved sun polyps because they're large and they're showy. So you're um, talking Paleothe Grandis. Paleothoa Grandis. Paleothoa, yeah. They, they come in so many different different varieties yeah but all like a mixture of like brown black mint green greener forest green but in various various combinations so um i fragged a couple of those up today and i had never i'd just been growing and growing and growing in them and i decided uh, you know let's be a good time to put those in that tank make a little bit of a, a large zoanthid uh showcase but one side effect of never putting my hands in the tank for like the first year is the clownfish in there. Oh my freaking God. Mean. I think they were marooned. <laughs> They're just mocha storms. Yeah. They're not just mean. It's like, all right, you want to bite me once or twice? That's fine. I don't, I can handle it. Right. But they just incessant, you know, and they, they grab a tiny bit of your skin and then just pull away. And it's like, I got a, like a, like a bee sting, like a very minor bee sting, like 15 times and at first i was just like oh you're cute you're biting my hand then after like 10 or 15 minutes because i'm trying to escape the tank and put some zoanthas in place i just like cussing out loud and just going after the fish and like oh those guys are they are something else for sure <laughs> so uh, my hand's a little tore up you can't see it but maybe it's just like that's a bad my- combo man pissing off some palithoas while a clownfish is breaking your skin <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like super danger. lucky, but I don't take it for granted that I have never developed any uh, hyperallergenic reactions. You know, some people who work with corals a, a long time, um, people who frag corals all the time, and people who handle corals often, they develop uh, a hypersensitivity to either euphilia or anemones or zoanthids or soft corals you know you know the people like i know some people who've had reef tanks forever who cannot put their hands in a tank anymore without sleeping up and i'm very lucky that i've never had anything like that but um i tried to put some some like latex gloves on and they didn't fit they all broke i was really trying but I, you know I, ha- I was wearing some goggles and uh there was no squirts going on but we uh we let the the palithoa really slough off before putting them back in the tank and then i had a little bit of carbon and I'll probably do a couple, well, just one, like one water changes, one water change when I get the palithoas in place. So sounds like we've both been, uh, you know, really staying busy with our reef tanks. Yeah, yeah. It's nice, uh, <clears throat> you know, when you have a tank that's been on autopilot for so long and it things are going well, like that's a fortunate situation, but it also, it gets fun to get back into the building stage. And <clears throat> I'm you know. so glad that's where you're at. Yeah, it's been fun. Um I know I've been texting you a ton just because uh, 
you get excited about something and then my wife's like, I don't care. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm like, well, I got to share it with somebody. Yeah, no, that, that was really fun. And I know that Mark and I sometimes uh, sound like grumpy old dudes, even though we're not that old, firmly on the beginning end of middle age. But um, we have a really fun topic we want to share with you guys. And it's not why we love reef aquariums, but what we love about the reef aquarium world right now. I mean, just everything, livestock, gear, and just the people. And man, I, I'm happy about everything, but I definitely have something at the top of my list that's like number one, two, three through 10. <laughs> so why don't you start off with, what are some of your favorite things oh. about the reef aquarium hobby today? And reef therapy session is officially on. Well, um, I think one that is, well, maybe I shouldn't put it this way because it, it would eliminate the ability to talk about the individual pieces of it. But I guess let's start with tanks. Um, let's just start at the most fundamental piece of equipment, right? Uh, reef ready tanks that are actually reef ready uh, is so nice. I explain. So again, not to go into, back to the dark ages, uh, but... Let me stop you for one second. I yeah. think the only way that we can shine a light on everything we love about the modern reef keeping era is by comparing and contrasting with our roots. So we're not going to keep trying to say back in the day, but we will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, so the, the term reef ready meant uh, like if you bought a tank meant it had an internal overflow or two. Um, and that was it. And that was it. The stand would usually be less than 30 inches tall, <laughs> um, you know, with no, no actual care in the world about what a reef hobbyist needs. Um, and you had to work with that. So obviously a lot of people built their own stands, this and that. Sumps, you know, were uh, mostly just wet dries that were available. So, you, you know, people would repurpose old fish tanks. Um, now reef ready means literally, I mean, if you start to look at, you know, some of the vendors like Red Sea, uh, Waterbox, um, but even going to like Elos and all of those guys, uh, you're getting a tank that is reef ready in terms of, inter you know, overflow box, but you're, you're getting something that where the stand is actually accommodating for reef equipment. You may get a sump with it that actually is well-designed. Um, and then, of course, we've already talked about the beauty of uh, pre-assembled plumbing. Mm. But, I mean, that to me is a reef-ready tank, right? And then, you know, I haven't even touched upon the all-in-ones, right? Um, There's the, a the sure plethora of all-in-ones that are available. Um, and I, I guess one that comes with a sump and plumbing but isn't all-in-one. But I meant, you know, where it's built into the tank. Um, that's huge. I mean, just the availability of, of, of tanks that are exactly, you know, per perfect for reef keeping is, is, uh, probably the fu first fundamental thing I love about the hobby right now. Yeah. So I worked retail for a long time and reef ready was so far from ready. Right. So like if I, um, you know, works with a customer and I, you know, just, they decided to pull the trigger. You know, first thing they would do is select the size of the tank that they wanted, you know, they could afford. And I always tell them like, Hey, this is going to be like double that price once we add all the gear and they would pick out a tank and, you know, usually be like a tank stand and lid combo maybe. 
and then I'd literally I would tell them to just like wait for like 15 to 20 minutes so I could gather all the equipment <laughs> um, the plumbing um, because all glass aquarium when it existed had uh, you know a plumbing kit and you had to buy one for each overflow that was ginormous inside the tank and it took him way too long to get some quieting features in there and then you know once you picked out the sump and the pump and the skimmer and the heater like you still got to put together some tubing because we didn't really hard plumb at the time and the barbs and uh, you know the the vacuum hose to drain it was just, i mean it was just such a process if you wanted yeah before all new ones were really common if you wanted something bigger than two feet long it was really involved and now you know, a prospective or existing reef aquarium hobbyist can say, I want that tank. And it's just, wow, it is so much more streamlined than it's, than it's ever been. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, um, <clears throat> like I said before, it, in a way, it also levels the playing field because I used to joke to be a reef keeper, you had to be a woodworker, you had to be a plumber, you had to be an electrician. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a chemist, yeah, and then a biologist, yeah, right. All everything else on top of that. Um, you don't really need to be all those things anymore, um, and that that to me is a big upside. Um, you know, I uh, there's a part of me. It's funny. Like right before we jumped on Squadcast, one somebody in my local group was like literally asking for opinions about rimless tanks, and I just commented, um, "What else is there?" And to be honest, like. I don't really care if it's rimless and if it's Euro braced, just the old school tanks had those thick glass braces in the middle. Mm. And when they were clean, it was, they were fine. They were reflecting a little bit of glass, but you got dust and, and salt crust on top of that, that cross tank brace. And then you got algae growth underneath. God, it's probably been like 15 years since I had to clean the underside of like a trans aquarium brace. I don't, I don't miss the braces. No, I don't either. care if it's Euro braced or, or rimless, but that brace that would just screw up your lighting. It, <laughs> it would be so like, all right, here's a great example. Like if you had a four foot tank, you could put two, four, two metal halides over it. If you had a five foot tank though, how are you supposed to light up the middle, especially with that brace in there? And it was just such a freaking challenge. And that is the real magic of rimless tanks. You know, the, the current and even like middle generation of reefers, um, they don't know how good they have it. And I, I think I'm going to say this over and over again as we go down the list. Um, but also the newer tanks, it's almost, it very quickly went from a novelty to standard issue to have, you know, a continuous siphon overflow. I've been yeah. calling it a continuous siphon overflow long before the Herbie, long before the bean animal, because it's descriptive. And um, God, that, that took off really fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, Durso was the way of life. And then. Ah, don't forget the Stockman. Yep. Yeah. The Stockman. The Stockman mod. And then the Durso. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's a really good point because these mass-produced reef tanks have, I mean, the Red Sea, that's pretty much a, a Herbie, right? It, it doesn't have that third overflow so that you can have a slight trickle in the secondary, uh, like a bean. But, um, you know, it's funny that that mod is now a common feature in these mass-produced tanks. And yeah, the, the, the Durso took 10 years? 
to show up in the overflow kit from all glass aquarium and then the continuous siphon overflow was like three but then it now it's like super standard issue you cannot sell a higher end all reef ready aquarium without it that's true yeah yeah i remember the all glass tanks for a while had the weird floaty thing it was like a, a float valve that slid into the overflow pipe and depending on the water level would adjust up and down and I super vaguely remember that but just the fact that it's terrible you can buy <laughs> commercially made aquariums with these huge quality of life features you don't know until you remember the days where like you were hitting that youtube on the side of the tank trying to get the air bubble to go down oh my god yeah no we have it really really good i'm glad you start with tanks um any, what else you want to say about the tanks i mean i know how you feel about the high the low clarity glass you know you you want it to be a little bit stronger and resist the scratchings but man when i've just got like a tiny bit of carbon or shortly after a water change and a good wipe down of the tank my fish are floating in air yeah no i i I know I'm in the minority there, and I definitely see the upside to the low iron glass being so popular now and so readily available, right? That used to be like a custom thing for hobbyists to seek out. With that a used to be an upsell. Yeah. Right? And I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't think you can get a, an innovative marine Cade water box Red Sea ProClear without it. Yeah, that used to be such a premium feature of of having that high clarity glass, and yeah, now it's just standard. I think I have, I think I have one tank that was custom made. It's the mangrove cube that has average clarity glass. <laughs> you can you can barely tell, but you have to look for it. Well, people would try to save a buck too, where they would only uh, use that glass on the front panel, but not the sides or the back. I um, think that's still a thing for the larger tanks. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if you get a super custom tank, you know, who cares about the back and the sides? Yeah. Or if it's going to go in wall, but anything that's ready made, man, I'd be I would be surprised if they weren't even using the high clarity glass for the bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> just probably it's easier there. just to source one glass for everything than try to keep tabs on what is what and, you know. But yeah, so I I figured I'd start I mean, there's so much in gear in general that I love in today's reef keeping world, but I, you know, I the tank is like step one, right? That's the one thing you need, absolutely need. So, um, we got to talk about lights next, right? Yeah. Lights are the sexiest thing. They're just, they are, they're not the most important thing, but they are the sexiest thing. And man, there, someone had a comment where they wanted us to discuss uh, burnout. And I'm not sure if that warrants a, a, a complete episode. I don't want to spend an hour talking about getting burned out, but I do remember, a, a, a small interval of time, probably right around 2010, where I was starting to feel it. You know, I, the corals and the shows hadn't really come on, and, and we didn't have this explosion of stuff. And then I got my first LED strip light, and it was just an average blue, barely one watt, you know, just something that you wouldn't even think of using today. And it just blew my mind just average blue leds just one little strip light you know supplemented by other lights the colors were and in the shimmer and the colors and the fluorescence i was like we've seen these colors forever 
but now we can really see them, right? I used to call them imaginary colors. I don't know if you, you remember me using that term. Oh, you can kind of imagine some of these shades here and there. And now you don't have to imagine at all. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> my first wow moment with uh, LEDs was uh, when the moonlighting stuff came out. Mm. And they were, you know, those, those uh, I guess, royal blue um LEDs, but they were put into like little moonlight modules. And uh, I think actually I was with you and we, we visited a friend of yours who just had, you know, normal metal halides for the daytime, but at night he had those moonlights on and um, that just black light level glow in the dark effect yes. just blew my mind. Cause I mean, you know, I was used to actinics and all of that, but uh, I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, but it just didn't to- even dawn on me that, I stu- this may makes me sound stupid, but it didn't dawn on me that that would eventually proliferate into full-on lighting, you know? Um, really? I guess, I think it was maybe like 2006, I had a primer with Tulio about uh, LED lighting, and he had this LED sample chip in his pocket and we were sitting down at dinner and he would just like pull it out and like shine it in my eyes from underneath the table. And I was like, oh my God, that is so much light. Um, but for what you were talking about was the original Mark Weiss Moonlight. It was three quarters of a watt. It was connected to like, um, like a half inch, no like a one quarter inch or maybe three eighth inch lock line. So you can move it around. It had a suction cup because, you know, magnets were too high tech only 15 <laughs> years ago. And um, anybody that's listening or watching to this right now, I am dying for an original Mark Weiss Moonlight new in the box. It doesn't even have to work. So hit me up if you have one of those. I won't really want to add it to my collection. It's like just a pivotal moment. And it's interesting that you didn't, see the writing on the wall i mean i don't don't think anybody did but that that would happen yeah i mean i think um you know i i don't think white leds had really uh become commonplace yet like i remember reading about how they how creating the blue led helped them solve the riddle to be able to create a white led spectrum they won Um, a nobel prize for it yeah yeah Um, that's hardcore so, I mean, I, I don't think I had seen that yet. I, I had just seen, you know, in cars and stuff, you know, the switch over to illuminating dashboards and stuff. And I just didn't think of it as having the enough intensity, I guess, to, mm-hmm. to compete with a metal halide or, or uh, VHOs or T5s. or But, uh, yeah. Um, but There then, was a long time there where they just seemed like they were going to be maybe like a, kind of fun for nanos yeah maybe for like accessory lighting i don't want to rehash the entire no, history yeah. of aquarium lighting but fast forward to today and we have the entire rainbow of of lighting spectrum available at our fingertips it's up to the manufacturer what diodes they include in what proportions and we can just control them from our phone with programming for each channel ramping up and ramping down 
you know how hard it was to ramp a, a, a metal halide or a VHO back in the day? Like the, the fluorescence, you had to you had to put some like this metallic tape on there with leads going to the controller and it could only dim it in like 20% increments and only down to 20% and metal halide, like there was one random electronic ballast that could actually do the dimming. And uh, it's just a whole, it's not even, we're not even talking the same species when it comes to lighting anymore. Yeah, I, I had experimented with it a little bit early and, and um, didn't have the best experience. And then, um, you know, it got to the point just chatting with you all the time that, okay, I'm definitely missing something here because um, you were, you, it wasn't like you were, okay, I've transitioned to LED. You, you know, that was like history for you. That was ancient history. And you were... Uh, espousing the, the 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 pros and cons of the different LED manufacturers and fixtures, and I'm like, all right, you know, what am I doing? I should jump back in. And then when I got the AIs, um, the whole interface to to go from T, a T5 fixture or you know with a or a metal halide fixture to something that is cloud connected, and you pull your iPhone out and you can adjust spectrum. You can have different spectrums at different times of the day. Mm. Um, it just, uh, I, I know, I'm sure everybody had that mind-blowing moment with it. Uh, maybe I was a little later in the game to have that moment, but I was just like, why the hell have I not done this sooner, you know? Um, I remember being on vacation, and I uh, wanted to see what was up with my tank, and uh, I just was able to increase the lighting just a little bit just so the my cloud connected webcam could see better and just man, okay everybody looks great you know all right resume schedule and then you know close out the app and i'm like this is so great <laughs> there are some that in, in, in so many ways when it comes to this reef aquarium gear we're we've already stepped into the future yeah we're already there it's 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 kind of mind-blowing but also you know like you know, the Reef Aquarium forums in the 2000s to 2010, you know, everybody took real pride on, in the spectrum that they particularly selected. Like, right, what bulbs of metal halides are you using? What reflector, what ballast are you, you know, what combination of T5s are you supplementing with? You know, it was such a, a, a mark of pride. That was your recipe for spectrum. <laughs> and now it's, it's like, it's really different because we're using the same light engine basically but we're just driving it different ways and that is really just man it's opening up a whole new world yeah i had posted a <clears throat> kind of a, a with a lot of humor right because I, I everybody should do what they want to do but i was like what's with all these windex tanks right and it was more just a joke because you go and look at full tank shots of people's reef tanks and I know in person it's a different story, but blue tanks do not photograph well, right? No, no, they just don't. And, uh, and so I'm like, this is not, it's not fun to like go to a full tank shot thread and look at everybody's tanks when they're all just Windex colored. Blue rectangle, blue rectangle, blue square. <laughs> yeah, so I just made kind of a, a humorous jab about it. And, um, and so, you know, people were like, well, what do you light with? And I was like, well, here's a picture of my tank. I like it a lot more white. And then people were like, oh, what's your, um, you know, what are your settings? And, you know, I've got AI Hydras as well. And it was so crazy. Like, I could literally download the file, the config file, 
put it on my Google Drive and, you know, I don't know why these people, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, this is what I use. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's uh, certified and, you know, good to go. Like, this is just what I use and, you know, your mileage might vary. But they just went and downloaded and uploaded it to their lights, you know? So that is archaic. It sounds futuristic until I found out that the new max spec lights, <laughs> I know we're getting a little sidetracked and talk yeah. a lot about lights. There's so many topics I'm going to drill down to, but one hint of the future is uh, max specs, new lighting platform, um, QR code. There you go. <clears throat> simple, simple QR code, right? So you can be in the app, scan a QR code. You have it. It almost, it's so funny that now the idea of, all right, I'm going to export my lighting program. I'm going to upload it or email it to somebody and then they're going to download it and then they're going to import it into their app or whatever, like instead of just scanning a QR code. And yeah. I'm, it's, it's one of the few times I've seen a feature come out and I'm like, everybody needs to copy this. And if there was some cross-platform communication, oh my God. But that's, that's the future. Um, yeah, just the, 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 the dynamic profiles of lighting spectra and people being able to fine-tune the, the look of their tank using the exact same lights. Um, that's just such a really fun field with the LED lightings. That's like not even not to mention the power savings, the bulb cost replacement savings, um, the longevity of these lights, the versatility of these lights. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think we need to wax poetic about lighting too much. I think we can do a whole another session on lighting. Yeah, that one's a, I mean, I think a lot of these are going to sound obvious if you've been in the hobby more recently, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, again, it, it was, it's such a game changer from where we were to where we are now. And these, it, these just, coral farms yeah. that, that have tank after tank after tank, dude, they would be bleeding money if they were using fluorescence or metal halides. It's yeah. just not possible with previous technology, right? That's why all the first coral farmers were greenhouses. I remember that, yeah. Right, Tropicorium, Steve Garrett. Um, I think Tidal Gardens started with with natural lighting and then went to kind of a mix of natural and artificial lighting. But yeah, the, these sprawling, you know, coral farms um, in completely enclosed buildings, which just, it just would not be economical with metal halides and, and fluorescence. Yeah, those things are... Uh, I, I, that's one area I've always been jealous because you, you get to tinker with so many the, so the one, the one downside is now it's just a module, right? It's not, you can tweak spectrums all day long, but it's still, uh, you're, you're locked. It's a bit of a vendor lock in at the same rate. Um, so now I'm always like, oh man, you know, I, I, you, I always have light envy when you're pop up with a new video and you're tinkering with a new fixture and i'm like oh, i wonder what that's like you know because well you don't have to wonder brother you're, you're yeah. part of the team but yeah let's save some of this lighting talk for <laughs> another episode we talk all day but how about flow pumps there used to be no such thing as a flow pump they were power heads and then there was an external like actual centrifugal water pumps and you had to modify the flow with a closed loop or an adductor and now it's just like a whole world of propeller pumps with you know a, a centrally mounted rotor or a, an externally mounted rotor that spins around the stator and it's just so many variations um people just have no idea how much easier it is to move water now than it used to be you know what how many 
What was the most power heads you had in one tank trying to get good water flow? Uh, well, when I had uh, my first 180, um, I don't know. I think I had like six or eight Maxi Jets running in there. <laughs> and then... Uh, wow, that's crazy. Uh, you know, Where do you plug that into anyway? Oh, man. Oh, I had a Red Sea Wave Maker. Remember those? Wave Maker. Um, no, I... Um, I was, a, I remember I, I had a decent job, but you know, I, it's not like I could splurge on reef gear, but when the Tunzee streams came out, um, I remember there was a guy selling, uh, two of them uh, on a forum used and it was still like a big expenditure for me, mm-hmm. but I was like, I have to do this. You know, like I, those I, things were huge. Yeah, they, they were, were they, they were, were massive. I mean, those things were just, again, a game changer. I hate to reuse that term, but, like, I popped two of those in. I replaced, like, six Maxi-Jets, and uh, I was blown away. You know, I was like, that's... um, Granted, you know, I mean, I did see the whole progression of them repurposing Maxi-Jets with the DIY kits and all that, you know. That took a while. I never tried that, that, um, to be fair. I never did that experimenting, but... um, I sold a bunch. Was it Algae Free had that kit? You got a little cage, this propeller that was the same size as the impeller, and then an algae magnet to to hold it in place because it was so strong. Like, yeah, no, the water movers are just sensational nowadays incredible and like we don't even have to work very hard you know like i can put one i can put a nero three in a three foot tank and i only need another one when i want to alternate the flow but one nero three will move like 90 gallons of water with no issues well i remember when the vortex came out i was you know because um i remember they had started with the whole um calc reactor which is you know a magnetic stirrer and just that mm-hmm. whole evolution of like well we could do that with a pump um that blew me away of not having the cords in the tank and then um i think it was interzoo where we saw a max spec uh showcase or at least it was first it sighting was called for the me. riptide the riptide and i think you were the one that was like dude you need to call it a gyre but uh yeah, when I saw that thing in Germany, I was like, man, you know, every time I'm like, well, how much better can they make flow? Like something like that came out and I was like, okay, that, you know, that's definitely that's definitely uh, an interesting design. Um, so a couple funny stories. I I still remember seeing my first Vortec. I think it was at Magna 2003, 2004 in Louisville, Kentucky area. And... I was just blown away. I think Pat was there. I mostly remember meeting Patrick Clayson there. And I was just like, man, this is freaking crazy. And I signed up for the beta. And it was like a towards the end of like my um, junior year of college. And I just, I just so happened to have a little extra cash. And I bought two of Ecotech's first Vortec MP40s for $250 a piece. That's good price. Do you know why I bought two? Hmm. I bought two because I thought for sure there would be no way in hell that this company would continue making propeller pumps for $250 and I wanted a spare to rebuild the other one. 
incredible, right? Just like absolutely mind-boggling how far some of these companies have come. I've actually since repatriated those those beta vortex to ecotech marines when you walk in they have like this big shelf of like their prototypes and different units throughout the years and uh yeah no that's just that's just super cool and that, that we're still using just an evolution of the mp40 mp20 or mp10 and mp60 and then when the gyre pump came out uh, you know i coined the term gyre people were already doing some of this um mass water water flow mass the whole tank water flow and and the max back you know kindly just said hey you know can we name it a gyre I was like, oh man you can't name it a gyre because you know it's already out there and that would be and then they called it the riptide and then it turns out someone else had a had a um a trademark on the name riptide it had nothing to do with the water pumps it barely something to do with aquariums and then they fell back on the gyre and then here we are all this time later with just incredible water movers i mean the the the, the design and the concept for propeller water pumps is so good that even some of the junky like kind of knockoffs are pretty good and they're not going to hold up you know super long term but they're still very usable for about a year or two until their magnets lose a lot of intensity and people don't realize that no matter how much you clean and service them they're never going to be as strong again well <laughs> you touched upon something i had written down for this conversation that even the um excuse my language but the cheap shitty gear available today is like 10 times better than some of the stuff we uh, we you know even just five plus years ago you know i mean i'll take a one-year-old used black box chinese led light from 2015 over like a bank of normal output or power compact fluorescence right yeah. <laughs> yeah. so that's an awesome point like even the lowest end stuff is for reef now freshwater gets gets a little bit deeper into the ditch but even the lower lowest end stuff for reef is like infinitely better than the stuff we try to diy on our tanks way way back and another thing that i really love man i mean let's i think we can kind of combine some of the the dc pump the dc controllable pumps those are super i, was, I have awesome. that written down because uh, yeah, I have everything written down. <laughs> <laughs> Just I am thankful for everything. Well, um, I mean, noise. Uh, again, n reef tanks were so freaking noisy back in the day, right? I remember trying to do, hunt for like the quietest PC cooling fans, like four-inch fans to put in your canopy to cool your metal halides, but they were still loud. And then you had an AC return pump, an AC-powered skimmer, AC flow pumps in your tank, it was just a ton of resonance and humming in your house, right? Uh, and then, of course, we had, you know, Durso standpipes. We didn't even have the continuous siphon overflow. Yeah, that just kind of minimized some of the gurgling. Yeah. But, God, I remember, like, really going down a rabbit hole trying to find the most quietest pump. And there was this company called Dolphin. I, they probably still make some of the mm -hmm. larger pumps. And they had this these smaller models with, like, this weird, like, hemispherical impeller that just somehow like totally quieted down like it was the silent the most silent pump on the market and it heated up your tank like freaking crazy i remember that yeah oh my god it got relabeled uh, you know by core life and then a few others but but yeah they were like you know dealing with heat dealing with energy dealing with noise that is something that you really had to be super committed to reef tanks in order to have one let alone have one in your living room 
Yeah, DC so now, pumps are are. I, I love them. <laughs> man, let's even like again, <laughs> uh, a non-controllable, single-speed, cheap Chinese DC return pump with just at least with a sine wave signal. I'll take that over freaking almost and everything but an Iwaki, <laughs> an actual Iwaki, because those things are power. They're just going to last for freaking ever. Um, but yeah, and, and for me, it's just like, well, it's not so much about the return pump, but the protein skimmers. What we've been able to do with protein skimmers with just such better pumps, AC and DC. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I don't know the technology behind it, but uh, maybe it's all in my head, but I feel like AC pumps have gotten quieter. I mean, I, I don't have a bad thing to say about uh, the AC line of CJ pumps. Yeah, um, no, but that's a company that's just, man, that's in their blood, right? Started yeah. by the, the father and then uh, carried on by four daughters. Like, that is their DNA, was making these freaking pumps. But, I mean, you know, building this new tank, you know, I in... In the basement, in my current tank, I could get away with a little noise, but the tank is just quiet because the gear today is quieter. But, you know, here I am putting a tank back up in the main living space where there hasn't been the noise of trickling water and all this stuff for a couple of years, right? And so here I am putting this tank back in our family space, and I kicked on the return pump, and the only way I knew it was running was listening to that water go up the return pipe and come out of the lock line, right? That's how I knew it's, it was running. And It's the literal definition of incredible. Yeah. You cannot credibly believe what you're seeing or not hearing. And it's, it's man, it's only going to get better from here. That's the awesome yeah. part. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's another thing that, you know, that's probably another aspect that's really helped the hobby to thrive is that quiet factor god we used to have so many freaking tricks for quieting noisy equipment it's not even funny i mean if you want to just compare and contrast just go grab any mag drive pump right they haven't been changed those are workhorses i use them for a couple things um, especially water changes when i don't want to siphon out all the water i just want to pump out some water it's just funny because it's like such a um, nostalgic sound because you heard it for so long but we had so many tricks for this stuff i have um, a uh, massive mag drive in my salt mixing trash can in the basement to pump up to the tank upstairs and uh when i had my old tank upstairs that i used that mag drive and you know it was just looking a little nappy and i was like it's you know i should probably replace it so i replaced it with like the biggest ac ch pump i could find and uh you know plug that in and use that to you know pump salt water and stuff up and i gave it a test run and it's so much quieter <laughs> it's not even not even the same i don't even me, need a quiet pump for that purpose right but it was just uh again such an improvement anyway man how far have protein skimmers gone that's another example where even the shittiest protein skimmers are great uh i have uh on my tank i run a bubble magoo is that how you say it magus i say bubble magus whatever that's what I run on my Just tank. say it with confidence. Yeah. Oh, my goose. I like it. It sounds fancier. It's like going to Target. You know, it's a Target. <laughs> Target, that's right. <laughs> um, no, it's, you know, it's a great little skimmer. Um, <clears throat> it was cheap. I, I threw it in there, and I was like, oh, you know, eventually I'll order something, you know, m up more in my alley. But um, then I just never did. Just kept running. Um, so here's a funny little side note. Probably the longest running uh, acrylic manufacturer 
in North America is Life Reef. Yeah, Colorado. He is. He is five ten minutes from where I live, and we have some uh, spirited debates about needle wheels. And um, needle wheels have just totally taken over, bro. Just, <laughs> just get on with it. It's not a conspiracy to replace pumps um, for people to upgrade. I mean, just the needle wheels have dominated i still think there's a lot of room for venturis in certain applications i love my downdraft skimmers but again it's like having a metal halide you how much water are you supposed to like just throw into that you know skimming chamber to create that foam it's just not responsible <laughs> to use hundreds upon hundreds of watts just to drive one downdraft skimmer or one venturi powered you know protein skimmer unless you're a public aquarium that's the only place i see them anymore because they have so much volume to process but uh, you know i'm, I'm gonna stick with your tagline if it's the particulars you know but by and large like God, I still remember when needle wheel was. That, that was like a super exotic dream. That was the Aquamedic Turbo Floater. That was that was a, such an exotic piece of gear, and it had a different kind of needle wheel than we're used to today. But that was like a, a glimpse of the future back in 1999, and it just took a long time for it to catch up. Yeah, I uh, I I remember um, that was another big expenditure early in my. Uh, career when I wasn't making a whole lot of money is I ordered a, a Euro Reef skimmer from California yep. and uh, replaced a ETS downdraft skimmer. And um, I just, yeah, again, you know, when the clear acrylic suddenly looked like white acrylic, that was pretty impressive to me um, just because of yes. all the micro bubbles, you know? Yes. The first awesome Neowell skimmer I used was to would have been in 1999 there's a das aquarium systems oh, das yeah. the box the one in the box or was it it was a box it was a yeah. total box and i just remember like all the protein skimmers had to break in and then you had to dial in this and that and water level and air and i remember turning this thing on and just instantly like this whipped cream head just just came out like instantly i was like what the hell is this yeah. because when i turned it on i didn't even know it was a needle wheel until i took it all apart and cleaned it up and it had an aqua b pump in there company that's still around i have what's funny is i have a couple year reef skimmers on the shelf just for uh, giggles and then i have a few aqua b pumps actually in use um so it's nice that some of those companies are, are still around but man yeah the protein skimmers are really crushing it these days do you remember the uh company that popularized the cone etb yeah i had an yeah, atb so skimmer i remember yes that you did so they're still around they're are still they? around I, yeah i just did a post about them a couple weeks ago a month ago and they've refreshed their product line with dc uh dc pumps running everything a couple other tips and tricks i think they probably had the first um commercially available neck cleaner bro i do not even have a I don't have any automatic neck cleaners here, which I'm like, some of these skimmers need it. The only neck cleaner I have is the manual one that comes with the Red Sea. Like, to every protein skimmer manufacturer out there, what are you doing? Why don't you have a, a manual neck cleaner on everything over, you know, 100 gallons? Obviously, don't don't put it on a freaking nano, nano model, but God, you guys, come on, get with the program. <laughs> you can't patent that. It's just manual squeegee, done. I mean, the, the 
That's the one compelling thing that makes me want to replace my cheapy skimmer for the new tank uh, is I love the idea of I don't need a motor to do it. You know, I can just right. feed my fish, kneel down and give it a couple of turns every day and then just have a nice long hose and drain the um, skim eight every once in a while. But really, when I decided I wanted that, I have two choices, which is Deltec and Red Sea and Nothing bad to say about either, right? But uh, make, make your own. Yeah, I guess you could. Uh, I've I, tried a couple times, dude. It's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, <laughs> there's a reason I haven't put that material out there. I've tried a couple times to grab like some squeegees. I'm like, this is hard. You really have to dial it in. But I mean, you can um, buy them for any skimmer, right? I think sw- manual. Um, no, the electric ones. Exactly. But I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. I don't want any electronics. I just want to. Keep it simple. So again, I'm not trying to plug anything. We're, you know, we're going to stay on track. But my Red Sea Reefer skimmer um, has a giant cup. It has a see-through window that is. I do like that. That's cool. And it has a uh, neck cleaner built right into the lid. And that is the only skimmer at the studio that might go a few weeks between cleanings, because we can just twist the lid clean the inside then we have the window we can see inside we have a giant capacity cup and it's like all right it's going we don't need to clean it every freaking week we try to clean all the skimmers every week because you know we run them that way um but yeah i just wish there was a controllable dc option for i was that. about to say i <clears throat> i like the dell tech because it has the dc pump and again noise is a, a big deal for me for what i'm trying to set up but then that price tag's a little, oof, you know, like it may take me a little bit to get there. But, you know, um, I'm in no rush. But, yeah, I, I agree. Every skimmer should have that. Why are there more automatic net cleaner options than manual net cleaner options? There's something else. There's something else in the hobby that, that, that seems like the cart before the horse. I think it's going to come to me through this. But that is one of those. Like, why are there more... Now, instead of saying what we like, we're talking about what we don't like. But we need more manual net cleaner option. Like you could start up to any entrepreneurs out there. You could start up an entire company retrofitting uh, manual net cleaner lids for every brand. Well, I really like uh, Avast Marine, right? I, I like the a lot of things he builds. And I was actually thinking about that. Like, you know, he makes um, an electric uh, powered neck cleaner. And I'm like, why don't you you know, why don't you put out one that just has a dial on the top, right? Yeah. It's the difference between <clears throat> cleaning your skimmer once a week and once a month. Yeah. It's, a, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a- so we're talking about protein skimmers, and there's there's a lot of improvements that have been made over the years. And there's just so much more plug and play than they used to be. Yeah, I used to have to talk a customer through the steps of installing a protein skimmer, go ahead and plug it in, open up, you know, whatever adjustment valve as much as possible, and then, you know, raise it up to a certain level and then do some adjustments on the air. And and now you can really put a protein skimmer right into your sump or your filtration area. And they're just really, really good to go. Yeah. Like I said, uh, for me, you know, the, even the cheapest skimmers are great. They're fairly easy to dial in, um, provided I, I've had, you know, my one suggestion besides like a neck cleaner is maybe, um, I don't know if it means they got to make them taller or what, but, uh, maybe make them a little more, um, tolerant of, of varying water levels once you get into like the deeper zone, because a lot of these, 
like a red sea tank, you know, the uh, skimmer compartment is uh, around nine inches of water. And uh, when you look at like the operating height recommendations for a lot of skimmers, it'll be around six to eight inches. So I don't have a skimmer stand for mine and it, it runs okay, but it's definitely like if you get it in a little bit shallower water and they got to fight gravity a little bit more, they're a little easier to dial in. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, your point about the protein skimmer stands is just highlights this uh, gap between the yeah, sumps and the protein skimmers. And I think that's a function of a lot of protein skimmers going with the, the pipeless protein skimmer design. Yeah. It was like, it was a moment in reef aquarium history when Cadlites released the first pipeless skimmer and like overnight, that. like so many protein skimmers all of a sudden were pipeless. Um, that just mean pipeless means that, you know, we used to, I mean, we still do on some pro plenty of protein skimmers have a, a bayonet fitting or some kind of a different mechanism for the outflow uh, of the protein skimmer but like the red sea and the dalua um, just have these 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 little valves basically now that you open up and down um, and they're a little bit more finicky when it comes to deeper water but the the sea cam kind of goes back to the roots kind of like the euro reef by having that tall standpipe and that is why i'm a huge fan of the aqua vitro division protein skimmer it's not like it's never going to win any powerhouse awards like not even close but they do the job and they have this long contact time they don't need a conical conical body um so you get back to that co long contact time and because they use a smaller pump because there's longer contact time um they're just natively quieter like really really good um i would have loved to see more progress on the the needle wheel side of things right we're, we're still stuck with the same needle wheel for a while we had the mesh wheel and then there was like a titanium alloy mesh wheel and then ati had a 3d printed grid wheel which i'm pretty sure you could mold with some you know challenges the yeah. grid wheel was freaking crazy but um we're talking about things we love about protein skimmers today and uh yeah definitely the protein skimmers are crushing even like the ac protein skimmers they're they're doing really really good really good work I, so i've got a question you've got experience with a lot of different skimmer brands um one thing that always gave me a bit of a hiccup with uh Tunzi, and now also I, I see it on the Seachem skimmer is that filter sock is I took it, it off okay never, never used it so what happens with the water? I mean, it's a dumb Nothing. question. It, it, falls, it, it, it flows down the outflow pipe just like on oh. a reef, and it's as quiet as it could ever be. I don't know. Um, so it's a non-issue. I, I mean... It's a non-issue. I took the... Uh, sometimes I would actually use the Tunzi Dock 9410 on purpose because I knew I could get a, re, uh, a media reactor out of that secondary sock. Yeah. A nylon sock. I would literally just put media in there to help filter the tank, and then boom, there's my media reactor. But on my Tunzi skimmers, I have never used them for micro bubbles, and I used them as is for a while on the um, the Seachem protein skimmers. But bro, don't tell Seachem this. I took off the entire water level control mechanism, <laughs> and I just cut the standpipe down to size. Because right, thankfully they use like standard uh, tubing and I just, I used them for a while as is. And then that stocking just kind of became really long and just, it was a little silly to have all this stuff. Once you've got it dialed in and you know what water level you want it to be, um, 
it just simply works. It just really, really works. Yeah, I just I totally just got rid of the water level adjustment totally because I knew what level I needed the standpipe at. So no water level adjustment, no water sock, protein skimmers rock. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we really need to talk about dosers because in our day, that was not a thing. Do you know what a dosing pump was back in 1995? It was an air pump. Oh, Pumping no. Pumping into a chamber, a sealed chamber, to displace the fluid. You're talking I about, think, uh, yeah, I remember that. That was a dosing pump from back in the day. And, and the only dosing pump you could get was refurbished medical equipment. I was about to go there. Well, no, you had the... Um uh, the two little fishies Vario, Varios or whatever. It was like this yellow peristaltic dosing pump, but I yep. couldn't afford it. So I'd go on eBay. And that was a non-controllable pump though. Yeah. It had but, no I mean, controls. You had to control it yourself. It was just on off. Um, I have one on the shelf for nice. fun. Nice. <laughs> that's a, that's a classic piece of history. Um, no, but yeah, I, I would go on eBay and there was a guy who would sell, uh, used, um, medical uh dosers for hospitals because uh, that they i guess they would have to replace them every few years was that the sentinel yeah something like that something uh, like that and they were still secondhand medical was like 300 plus and the for, dosing tubing line was so it was way tinier than like airline tubing so it always it so specific yeah and so but even when you got one of those like you could set the rate but you couldn't do any programming yeah right and so Last week, Red Sea dropped a brand new reef dose. Yeah. Um, Mark hasn't seen this yet because we're recording this a week in advance. Um, but yeah, we, Red Sea's got them. Ecotech Marine, Bubble Megas has them. Um, uh, God, I, I don't want to. GHL's got them. I mean, everybody's got a dosing pump. Everybody's got a dosing pump. And for the same price as a single channel dumb dosing pump, now you're getting like three to four channels with all kinds of programming functions, wireless connectivity. And it's just the process of adding any additive, like down to the drop, like super accurate has never been easier. And man, that just unlocks so much more potential for nano tanks, for dosing traces, for doing tricky stuff, like kind of more scientific for raising your pH by dosing your buffer continuously or every hour. It's just, it's incredible how much progress is, is enabled by these smarter functions. Yeah, I have, um, I have the Kamur. Is that the, the yeah. And so Kamur is one of the only companies that does just that yeah that the one with the rainbow colors right um four mm -hmm. heads super affordable um the app for it is fantastic um yeah. uh wi-fi you know first you connect with bluetooth you get it on your wi-fi um but it, it's just awesome i mean that it has every, like the whole app connected concept that i'm interacting with this thing through my phone through an app fantastic i mean just absolutely fantastic absolutely um, I love you know. how this entire like trip of you know discussing the modern aquarium hobby is also a trip down memory lane because when it comes to the gear we are absolutely living in just a, such a golden age of aquarium technology 
freshwater and saltwater aquarium technology. I mean, I still remember like a freaking solenoid valve just costing like a hundred dollars and now I can find them AC, DC, pre-wired, unwired, any way I want for freaking like 10 bucks on Amazon. <laughs> it's crazy what you can do nowadays. Um, yeah, the, the, the technical aspect, and I'm sure there's some other stuff that we haven't really talked about as much because I want to save some time for yeah. um, the software which would be, you know, the livestock and the community. I really, you know, but like water tests have gotten a lot better. We have uh, um, ICP testing services for the fringes. You know, I think ICP is a little bit more for the fringe, not for the everyday water testing. When you want to see if some trace elements are down or if certain heavy metals are building up. Um, but before that was just like, well, corals dying. I don't know why. <laughs> and you just had to move on and now you can set a test oh an icp water testing service to like any number of companies on any number of continents and within a reasonable amount of time like a week or less you can get at least some insight into what's going on there and um, man i'm a super big fan of the hannah checkers i was lukewarm when that calcium oh, yeah. one first came out and then they started including the 0.1 milliliter um you know uh, testing titrator or pipetter and now ma'am me and two other people can do the test just back to back to back right next to each other you know similar protocols and you'll just get the exact same number yeah i uh i use their elk checker and uh, why would you do anything else well and especially with two-part because Again, personal opinion, I don't really care where my calcium is as long as I'm dosing my A and B in equal parts, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> so uh, we, we did a big round of water testing on a bunch of tanks today and yeah. um, Evan was asking if it was okay if there's any residue left in the you know the, the vials or something because he cleaned out some vials. We did a bunch of water tests. I'm like, bro, if the calcium falls between 375 and 500, it's all right. Yeah. don't really care just tell me what that alkalinity is to the 0.1 dkh and then we're good <laughs> yeah i mean it's like all right i here's my target alk wherever my calcium ends up if i'm adding 40 of that and 40 of this that good you know so but that just makes the whole beauty of the fact that their alk checker takes all of 30 seconds yeah even better you know um i'm not a big tester um but when it comes to changing two-part solution, um, which I've been doing now for a while because a calcium reactor doesn't really make sense on a softy tank. I do have my geo reactor still in storage for the day I get the SVS bug. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, you need an ALK checker to, to see where things are at. And uh, the fact that it's so painless, like I don't have an excuse, you know? Yeah. No, I'm just absolutely. lazy. <clears throat> and the other thing that's kind of crazy is um, – uh, oh my god! I just blanked out. Talking about test kits, test additives. Oh, additives haven't really changed. Per, you know, debate me. Uh, have they really changed? Be, I mean, that is one of those few things that has been around for a really long time, and fundamentally, it's like, all right, you know, you and I are using salifer coralline amino acids in the late 90s and early 2000s and there's some better options for that now but added in an additive space it's just i don't know it's just you know elemental right calcium magnesium alkalinity the traces are maybe a little bit more accessible uh full you know like a broad spectrum trace additive or individual additives 
if you really want to target something. But I just I don't think it's changed very much. From the one, the one I'm curious about, but it's it's kind of pricey on on a large tank. Is the uh, I think it's calcium formate, or uh, it's the Alpha Reef from uh, why am I Tropic Marin? I, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Um, the carbo calcium. Yeah, is that, that calcium that, formate? What is it? Uh, I don't know, but I'm letting some other people do that experimentation. Somebody's gonna comment that I got that totally wrong, and I apologize. But um, why do I like it? Well, <clears throat> one, it's just one thing to dose. So if again, we'll see if it holds up. But it seems like for the people that are using it, they're pretty happy with it. Um, and I don't believe it increases your salinity. Um, <clears throat> and for a guy that doesn't like to do water changes, my biggest beef with two part is my salinity goes up. So I have to do, I have to exchange salt water for RO water, right? <clears throat> um, you said you had a reminder once a month to check your salinity. <laughs> I have to, yeah, because my I check my salinity anyway. <laughs> Well, because I forget, right? And there were a couple times where I'm like, something's not right here. What's up with this tank, you know? And then I start doing all my checks. I'm like, oh, crap, my salinity's gone through the roof. Um, and, you know, you know me, when I ran a calcium reactor, I, I didn't run, I didn't do a water change for like a year, you know? And uh, uh, I did that ICP test out of curiosity and everything came back stellar. And I was like, well, then why the hell am I doing water change? Well, like, why, why should I feel compelled to do a water change? But that's a different story. But you know, now that I'm on a two part, I'm like, well, I have to, right. I have to yeah, swap out yeah. about, um, where I'm at. I have to change about 10 gallons a month of salt water to fresh water to keep my salinity in check. And so Man, you'd be dosing so much. Yeah, I guess. Um, but that's where calcium, well, all for reef, right. Uh, looks interesting to me, but I mean, I think the I think it's kind of pricey for the amount I would have to dose. Um, I would love to see it either be more. I mean, I, I know you can make your own with the powders and all that, so maybe that's a route I go. But so I kind of want to see where that plays out. That might be um, that might be a big big change, a shift from two part if it's effective. I would say though that fundamentally the additive space just hasn't changed that much. Yeah. There's a lot of people making it. It's probably cleaner than ever. There's a lot more understanding, man. When I was a kid, like trying to connect the dots between alkalinity and carbonate hardness and the buffer it just sounded like three different things. It, it was so hard for my young brain. And I still remember the moment it clicked. I'm like, oh my God, these are the exact same freaking things. And it's just the other building, major building block of calcium carbonate aragonite that our corals are made of. You know, it's like, it's so much harder. It was so much harder then to, to really wrap your head around it. But now it's just like, oh yeah, it's just another building block. But on the additive space, I, I just don't think, uh, you know, it's mature. And a lot of people can get into it, and a lot of people can mix it themselves. Um, I, you know, the thing, the thing that's funny is, like, now that we're really talking about all this stuff, the fundamentals of a calc, calc reactor have not changed. The fundamentals of a calcium reactor also haven't changed. And there's been one major breakthrough, you know, with, the, like, uh, Destaco and Deltec making these automatic calcium reactors that work on CO2 saturation that don't need a pH probe or a pH controller. Um, that's it. <laughs> that's about it. You know, uh, you could still pull out uh, a knob calcium reactor from 1996 and slap it on your tank today. And it just, nothing would really be different. Right. Or a Corlith 
or a geo, right? It's just a recirculating chamber and, and whether or not you want to use a pH probe is up to you. I thought it was so funny, you know, I got a, a lot of really funny comments when I posted the video of the Seachem calcium reactor, my 10 tips on, on, on things to know about a calcium reactor, and you and I are like, pH probe, nah, I don't want one. <laughs> I, just, I just don't want one. I just got to test the effluent for pH and for alkalinity output, check, you know, check my bubble rate a little bit. You don't have to. That's the thing that's changed, though. Like, people have kind of lost some of that know-how. Um, when it comes to the calcium reactors, but yeah, you could use any calcium reactor from any era today and maybe switch out the pump if it's a noisy one or if it's not powerful enough, but at the end of the day, you're still just moving water around. Well, it, it's uh, today's, today's gospel is you must have a uh, pH controller that with a solenoid for your CO2. Um, it seems like I hear the word must a lot. And then when I first bought my geo reactor, um, and the very first reactor I was like the one he built for himself. Cause I couldn't afford one of his like nice ones. He's like, well, I got the one I, you know, experimented. I can sell you that real cheap and that thing ran great. But eventually I got like a real nice geo. But, uh, when I went to go figure out how to run it, it was like, if you have a pH uh, probe, you know, here's what you can do. And if not, you can use alkalinity as another reference point to tune your reactor. And um, I guess I just, even though now I have pH probes, I always just eyeballed it, you know? Like, I just once, don't wanna... once you get to know one, you kind of know, like, okay, I just need a reasonable drip and I just need a reasonable bubble rate and whatever. And then again, you kind of end up in some alk range that you're happy with. Yep. Well, that I'd be happy with. Like, again, if you're chasing numbers, good luck with that. But if you're like, yeah. I, you know, it's like, all right, well, calcium's staying up and the alk's in, in a decent range. All right, I guess it's working, you know, and then yeah. you just went on with your day. I mean, that's yeah. that, you know, so um, they, they, in a way, they're like, it's like making something more complicated than it needs to be. I mean, there are risks and, you know, when you're messing with CO2 and you could definitely nuke your tank and drop the pH too far. And, you know, you you'd have don't... to really not be watching your tank for a long time. Yeah. And again, it's like that. It's kind of like our talk about RO. Like you don't know who you're dealing with when somebody asks you a question like, you know, do I need a pH probe from a calcium reactor? And it's kind of like the. I don't want somebody to come back and yell at me because they nuke their tank. So you, you know, you give that blanket answer, but it's the blanket backstop answer uh, to the particulars, but let's stay on track to the yes. things we love. Sorry. I digress. Um, yeah, no, you're right. You're all right. I mean, calc reactors, calcium reactors pretty much stay the same. We've had a couple of breakthrough, but let me broach my favorite, just top 10, one, two, three through 10, <laughs> favorite thing about the reef aquarium hobby today and that has got to be the availability of corals yeah i had something similar written down i can't keep up with the coral number of coral vendors anymore it used to be like i had like five or six bookmarks you know yeah. of places to go check out what they had holy crap man it's like i i don't I don't know all the coral vendors anymore. You know, I don't, I can't keep tabs on them. Um, not, not so much the vendors, but just the, the availability crazy of, variety yeah. of corals. Like I remember okay, going to, first of all, there was no such thing as a saltwater aquarium shop. I really should have put that down. Let's, let's, let's back it up. LFS. 
There was no such thing as a saltwater aquarium store. There was, let me just repeat that. There was no such thing as a saltwater aquarium store. Not that I know of, not that I saw like in my part of the country, you were lucky if you found a really good aquarium store that had a very saltwater, you know, strong saltwater tank presence, you know? And then over time it was just like, initially they would have one tank that had some saltwater fish that had like a handful of corals and a handful of invertebrates, right? Because we kept a lot more invertebrates back in the day. We would have feather dusters and anemones and crabs and clams and scallops. Like you would, your reef tank had so many more invertebrates than, than, than today, you know, I need to, I got, as, as, as I'm saying this, I'm like, man, I need a lot more feather dusters in my tanks. Like, I have a lot of clams, like giant clams. And, um, but yeah, it was just, if you found one person looking at that saltwater tank at the same time as you did in a tank full of freshwater tanks, like in a store full of freshwater tanks, you were instantly friends and you're like, what's your size of your tank? What are you running? How are you doing it? And so, like, the saltwater stores now, they're all coral farmers. A, a lot of them are also you know, fish quarantiners, if that's a word. And God, I remember going to store after store and it was like eh, 20 corals, 20 different corals you might run into, right? Trackies, um, acanthophilias were not called acanthophilias, but they were $99 for a solid red one with a green mouth. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, a few leather corals, maybe like a Paul Leparides, you'd never saw an acro anywhere. And, you know, like a couple zoanthids. Like, I mean, you're talking about literally there was 20 coral, different types of coral to pick from. And that was it. And, and like, a quarter of those were shrooms. <laughs> a quarter of those were, like, discosomas. Another half of them would just be, like, leather corals and, and, and sarcophyton, but not with green polyps. And that's the thing that's just that I love today. Like, you could set up three tanks of different types of sarcophytons and they'd all be different and some of them could be small some would be big and the variety available today is just it's unimaginable compared to 20 years ago yeah the availability has definitely <clears throat> shifted um you know my my store here is fully marine um what's funny to me is what's hard to find now is like a shop that has cool, interesting freshwater stuff. <laughs> I can't find that, right? Like, uh, I mean, you got your Petco's and your PetSmart's, but if you are really into, like, interesting freshwater fish, if you're into African cichlids or, you know, you're getting into discus and um, anything like that, um, that's hard to find now, um, you know. I wouldn't say it's hard to find it's in my area your local fish store like at an average store that we have great communities and Anquibid and every group is hyper specialized like the freshwater man the, the discus people never talk to the angelfish people the african cichlid people never talk to the central american people like very little overlap then if you want some of the cooler stuff like that's still kind of true um but when it comes to saltwater goodness man like if you look up your yellow pages for your any area now at least half of every store is saltwater. Yeah. Completely, exclusively saltwater. It's like, not, it's not even funny. But that's, that's, that's something that we take for granted that so many shops absolutely 
specialize not only in saltwater, but like they have their own frag tank. They got their own show tank. They're growing some stuff out. They're not going to sell you that coral because they're going to frag it up. It's incredible how much things have changed. I would say the other piece that if we're going to talk about livestock is um, <clears throat> I truly could not have imagined the diversity in uh, maricultured corals um, as well as captive bred and captive reared marine fish. Yeah. Um, it's still, I still have kind of a wow moment when I start to think about, you know, that we have uh, captive uh, reared and bred angelfish. Yeah, angelfish. Angelfish. I mean, Man, we spent what? like 20 freaking years only enjoying clownfish. And there was no varieties. There was no varieties. The, the, only, the first variety was a wide bar. Right, an oscillaris with a slightly wider bar, and then the second variety might have been the black oscillaris, right? But I want to give a shout out to my homie Ali, who named the first Picasso clownfish, and that blew up on Reef Central, and he ended up selling that fish to ORA, probably for like nothing compared to today's numbers. And when I was at ORA a number of years ago, it was still there. The, the, the founding broodmare of all the Picasso clownfish was still productive at ORA like 15 years later. That's I, don't, awesome. I mean, I don't know if she's still there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, for a long time, it's like, okay, we've got a really, a, a few really crummy looking dotty backs and some captive grown clownfish. And that yeah. was <laughs> anything else. I always had that debate, you know, <clears throat> if let's just say, there was a ban on all wild collected things globally or like the import of anything wild into the United States, you know, would you still set up a marine tank? And, you know, a, a while back, I'd be like, well, yeah, you'd still see me with a pair of captive bred clowns and hopefully a bubble tip anemone that was, you know, cloned off of somebody. Um, and then, of course, you know, plenty of corals from frags and stuff. But then now it's like, oh yeah, I could have some tangs and angelfish and you know, a little, a little bit gobies of and blennies and I mean, just I would have a nice reef tank. I you could set up a nice reef tank completely based off captive. That bread was such and a bleeding edge concept just a few short years ago of having a tank full of exclusively aquacultured livestock. But I want to get back to the coral variety. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Any person can go down any of the rabbit holes. You want to collect just euphilia? There's enough of those for you to never run out. Just zoanthids, just chalice corals, just montes. Acros, you almost have to bifurcate that. Like, all right, do you want the high energy acros or do you want the deep water acros? You know, everybody's like super gung-ho right now for all the crazy freaking tenuous and the rainbow millies and the holy grail torches. And I'm like, uh, can I get some deep water acros over here and some bubble corals, please? <laughs> but yeah, the variety and the diversity is just across the board insane. Like, I still remember you and I going shopping for some freaking just solid red, blood red chalice corals. We paid a whole whopping like $40 a frag, which at the time we're like, man, that should be like $40 a colony. <laughs> when we went to Cappuccino Bay and we everybody got a piece of that, we made them chop it up on the spot. They didn't I want to at that. first. That was awesome, man. Um, 
But yeah, you can go down any one of these rabbit holes, soft corals, LPS, and just never run out of things to blow your mind. It is. It's it's crazy. Um, I just I just want to set the stage a little bit. I don't want to be a super old timer, but I no. want to kind of paint a picture for everybody who's listening right now, everybody who's been reefing for about 10 to 12 years, right? Rewind the clock to, let's just call it mm, 2003. The Bali farmed corals, which introduced every kind of deep water. And we're talking Echinadas, we're talking Red Dragon, Suharsanoi was a pipe dream. And Australia didn't open up till 2007. We had never seen strawberry a shortcake or strawberry shortcake. We had never seen any Australian scolies. We'd never seen Duncans. There were so few Duncans. Like we'd seen pictures of them. We knew they existed. Um, lords don't. Oh my God. Like we were getting some Lords and they were crazy priced, man. Every Lord that was imported like that first year when Australia opened up 2007, I, I still just, I remember my disbelief and they were like, oh yeah, we're going to start getting shipped from Australia. I was like, no. No, that's not that's not possible. <laughs> that's just not possible. We got Duncan's, Mosleyas, Scolies, um, uh, uh, Bauer Bankies came in with that. Wilson Ice came in with that. Like, not to mention the corals we could already get from other places that were just that much crazier from Australia. Like, just crazy town. But even within Indonesia, the growth of the reef aquarium hobby has blowing the doors off doesn't even quite capture it as far as like how much more coral we can get and how much diversity within each coral. I'm talking about Samacora, man. Like I can't even, I, there was a point where I could tell you every single strain of every coral that had ever been in the aquarium hobby. And now it's like, nah, there's too many stylocene yellows. I never thought anybody would ever, ever care about that coral. Uh, Samacora, like that was such a weird niche coral that no one would ever care about. And now I'm like, I don't even know how many colors there are just of the branching form, right? You've got the green, orange. I've got a neon oranger one. Someone was hitting me up um, about a, a yellow one that they came across very recently, not to mention the encrusting strains and on and on and on. And so like, yeah, when it comes to the coral diversity, it's just, oh, it's mind blowing. But to back to your point, aquaculture has taken this huge, incredible biodiversity of corals and made it available to more people than ever. Yeah, and even when you look at mariculture, there were always the corals that I assumed were easy to frag and you know glue and stick on a rack in the ocean, but. You know, some of the species that I'm seeing that are maricultured are, you know, some of those LPS that we would avoid fragging in the aquarium hobby. Blast you know? those. Yeah. And um, so, so, so it's even like the corals that I thought, ooh, you know, we may have to always rely on wild versions of those because they're just not really up for being fragged. And then I think it was a discussion I had with Vincent um, long ago in person when he was here where he was like, no, man. And he's like, those things, you know, I forget which coral we were talking about. But he's like, you know, he would just say you could chop them, throw them back in the ocean, and they would heal and, and, and grow. And so then that was even just a, like, holy crap moment. Like, we can we can mariculture those, those species of corals as well. You know, we don't have to 
um, kind of relegate those that are like, oh, we're, o- we're only ever going to be able to get the wild versions of those, those, those type of, uh, a lot of LPS and stuff like There's that, right? There's very few corals left that are just non-propagatable, right? Um, in aquariums, we can, we can prop- propagate euphilias, or sorry, uh, catalophilia, elegance coral, but they don't really do that in the ocean. But so we're pretty much left with cinerinas, acanthophilias, and trachophilias. Those are the only corals that cannot really be asexual and long tentacle plate corals. Yeah. Everything else, bubble corals, lobophilia, symphilia, um, blastomusa, blastomusa, blastomusa. It's incredible how much is being um, just well, cultured the out of the ocean. Blastos now. I, jeez. I, some of the and, colors I'm seeing, what the yeah. hell, man? Where'd those come from? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, why is it that everything was so uh, cookie cutter yeah. for like a decade? You, want a, bla- same you blasto, want a Blastomusa, yeah. you get a red one, or if you're fancy, you get a green mouth red one. That's yeah. it. One or the other, right? And then all of a sudden it's like rainbow, orange, pink, pastel, green skirt, on and on and on. And, but you can, you can say that about freaking everything every kind of coral every kind of anemone um yeah i got i mean we could do a whole a whole episode on just the the diversity of corals and strains and varieties and grafted varieties and um i'm just looking very much looking forward to the future i think i think my pinnacle personal like you know bucket list thing is going to be to spawn some corals actually going to be speaking on the phone with jamie craggs tomorrow about uh making some concerted efforts to do that <laughs> well and to, to that point you know like i said about that uh, hypothetical question um that gives me hope you know i mean there's a lot of concern about uh regulation and all this stuff but i think we're getting to a point where the availability of a fish that you know, as long as these regulations, if they continue to go in the direction that they've been going, as long as they recognize the difference between mariculture and um, aquaculture, right? And they don't do something like where CITES was trying to grab it from it getting imported, right? It's like, well, hey, you know, like I, I remember they were trying to ban euphilias and it didn't matter if it came from somebody's tank and it crossed state lines and I, I don't know, but... As long as they recognize the those efforts and allow those um, that progress to continue, like I think the hobby is going to be all right. Like I, I if if you told me tomorrow that this new tank I'm setting up, I could only do aquacultured, maricultured, and captive bred and or you captive reared fish. Beat. I'd be like, all right, you know. You wouldn't skip a beat. Might man. cost me a little more, you know, but uh, I mean. Uh, yeah, it might take a little bit longer time, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely have a few tanks where, actually, most of my tanks are all cultured, all you know, whether it's farmed or grown in captivity, um, and I think, I think the one thing tying all of this together and a great note to uh, end on is the reef aquarium community. Mm. You know, there used to probably be, let's say 5,000 reefers, 10,000 reefers, you know, max when you and I were starting this up. And now it's just not even countable. You'll have almost that many people at a reef aquarium conference on a, over a weekend. 
you know, but between the groups, the forums, the actual clubs and the conferences, there's just so many opportunities for the community to get together and share notes and compare ideas. It's, it's crazy. It's incredible. I had no idea that I would be able to make a career you know, gabbing about reef tanks, whether it's on articles or videos or podcasts. That wasn't even an option when I was younger. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to own a fish store because that's the pinnacle, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm definitely happy and envious that that path, you know, was put in front of you. Um, in the 90s, when I graduated with my biology degree, um, I had a, a crap ton of student loan uh, debt to pay off, and I was doing some fun things here and there that were biology related. But then, like the people I was working with that were ten years older than me, were waiting tables at night and balancing, you know, everything. And um, I, I fully admit, like I was like, well, you know, I'm also interested in the, you know, the computer side of things, and, and so I went that route. But back then, there was not a lot of um i mean maybe i'm wrong but i didn't see much opportunity in the trade right um, it was very limited unless you were literally going to farm fish or service accounts or work at a fish store or maybe one of a handful of companies i mean it was yeah. just so it was like a monopoly limited. of like manufacturers making aquarium equipment and now you got people that are 3D printing stuff and they're manufacturing reef keeping gear. Um, I mean, the store, the backstory on the Ecotech, right? Um, you've got people making careers on YouTube. Um, it's, it's just fascinating and I'm happy, right? I'm happy that people, that there are people that are pursuing this passion and making it a career and that there's so many variety of avenues to do that. Whereas in, when I graduated in 99, I didn't really see that on the horizon. Um, mm. And I, I, I've, you know, I'm happy with my life, obviously. Um, I have no regrets, but I've always wondered, like, if I had graduated today, like, would I oh my have God. done a, would I have chosen a different path, right? Because of those opportunities. So it's, and that's just yet another, I mean, forget me. Um, it's another way to emphasize how much this hobby has, has changed over 20 years for the better one of the biggest requests i guess from the industry is people to hire really they, yeah That's they need reps they need people to do services you know aquarium maintenance they need people in their stores they need people in their farms they need people just all over the place and it's like it's we have our own cottage an actual industry right it's not like a little toy thing we're not doing talking about toy fish anymore it is incredible and it, it's it's really astounding just how many people it reaches today from, you know, just the the lowest income f person who's really trying to scrap together enough money with some used equipment and some secondhand stuff and, you know, a lot of free frags. They can do so much. And then you have the most affluent people, you know, spending tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars on a, uh, you know, a fish room or fish wing of their entire house. And, um, that thing, you know, that bleeds over to freshwater too. You're just seeing so much. Uh, and you know what it boils down to culture. 
we have our own aquarium culture with our with our subgroups of people who focus on the rare fish and people who focus on certain groups of corals and people who are all about the gear and then um you know one great example is uh, this place called uh, ohio fish rescue a place that literally just takes in overgrown freshwater fish and relies on donations to just house these fish the same way that there's been like parrot rescues and dog rescues for like freaking years. And it's just incredible that it's grown to such a size that we have so much sophistication just across the board. It's an amazing, amazing time to be a, an aquarist of any type. I agree. Um, I one area that I see the future developing now is, um, and it, it almost crosses over in the realm that I'm in, <clears throat> um, is uh, as all these things are getting cloud connected or cloud driven, right? So you've got companies that are like, "Hey, we're going to sell you this really cool reef light. You can just connect with your iPhone," and you know. So now you're talking about API development. Now you're talking about hosting services and AWS or some other, you know, cloud solution provider like Azure. Now you got to have people that manage all of that uh, cloud infrastructure for you and help, you know, build that. So it's funny, like I imagine you're going to see IT people like working for reef companies. Um, oh, well, I think some of them already do. Well, I, yeah, I, I think it's already there. I think it's going to scale even more. I think... I think where we, like we made comments about things being kind of behind on the controller side and stuff uh, at times, you know, like... I um, would never. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm a controller fan. Uh, I love okay. my Apex, but... Um, I control everything without a dedicated controller. But I think that, I, well, I imagine, you, you probably know the uh, industry folks better, um, they're part of the thing that they need now to do the ideas that they want to do is probably hire more developers, right? I mean, somebody's got to build that app on your phone. Somebody's got to make sure that that app, whatever change you make, gets pushed out to whatever server I'm imagining it's, you know, something in AWS, let's just say hypothetically, and comes back down to whatever device is running over your reef tank, or, you know, if it's over Bluetooth, that's a different story. But um, they are probably like there's probably like developers that are just that's what they're doing and I always joked um, when I was uh, in IT like um, the guy that has that IT job that works for that company probably doesn't even keep a reef aquarium and hates him or something you know like uh, <laughs> um, I'm really into backpacking I'm like I bet the guy that like manages the the, the infrastructure for like REI uh, like doesn't even like to go hiking or something like but that it's was just probably, a joke I always had right it's probably more than one guy but yeah. but yeah no I think this really puts a nice bow on everything that we've been talking about that the reef aquarium hobby has really blossomed into a microcosm of our modern life, right? I mean, we have access to more food than we've ever had, more diverse food than we've ever had, more beers, more ingredients, more services. And it's every, all of that translates one-to-one -to, -one to the reef aquarium hobby. All the gear is better. We have more choice, more selection, more livestock. I mean, more, more choice of tanks. I mean, you used to walk into an aquarium store and you, you could buy an all-glass aquarium or bust. <laughs> you know, all-glass aquarium was the name of the brand. It's not just a description. Well, if you were fancy, you got an oceanic. 
which, which was owned by Hourglass Aquarium. Yeah. You know? But so it's it's definitely a reflection of our modern world and our modern life and the Internet of Things and connected devices and just everyone raising, elevating their understanding of. Uh, you know it and connectivity and networking and chemistry and biology like all of this we're all collectively just getting a lot smarter whether we like it or not agreed yeah. i there's one that is more where i think is going to be a game changer of the future and somebody will pull this up in 10 years and be like well he was wrong but uh i think it's uh <laughs> bacteria um the I'm really rooting for the aquabiomics guys. Um, it's to me, it's like data mining, right? You start to aggregate all this data and you don't know what to do with it. But eventually when you have enough data, you start to correlate trends. And I think that the more people that get their tanks tested and start to learn what their bacterial biome looks like, I think we're going to learn a lot of interesting things. I think it could potentially help with uh, pathogens and parasites um it could help with uh, i mean yeah i i think that'll be i think a lot of interesting things will bubble out of that you know right now we've got these bacteria in a bottle solutions to cycle a tank but um there's so much diversity that you just can't see with the human eye that's going right. on in your tank and um the the fact that there's significant differences between like your tank and my tank in that biome yeah you know uh, I'm I'm curious. I, I I'd love to. I think you're, revisit you're getting ahead of yourself. We need to save some of this material for a retanks of the, the future, future? Okay. session. And um, but you're you're absolutely right. Shout out to the Aquabiomics guys. Do a little quick search on Aquabiomics.com or Aquabiomics on Reef Builders because there's definitely a lot more we can learn about reef aquarium and just general aquarium bacteria. Um, but yeah, I think we've we've covered a huge scope of. Um, just what is what is really truly awesome about the the reef aquarium hobby today and uh it's just going to be super exciting to see it evolve for another couple decades agreed man i'm looking forward to it yeah no i'm glad you've stuck with it you know that's another thing we'll talk about is uh you know just how to stick with the hobby when you're not like fully into it as a hobbyist um but yeah mark thank you for joining me on this uh, session of reef therapy thank you to all our listeners if you made it this far man you better freaking drop us a review on our podcatcher this might be a long one so i appreciate the patience of somebody who made it to the end of this one yeah i mean but that's one of the the most common comments that we get is like Yo, I could listen to this again. The long again. format. Listen yeah. to it longer. You know, <laughs> you and I just, you know, we take 45 minutes to warm up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think with that, we'll put a pin in it and um, hope you guys are really enjoying these retherapy sessions. And we'll check, catch you guys very soon on another session. So till next time. <laughs>